0: Well, good worship time. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. We've been teaching a series on how to discern ourselves. We are a three part being we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And each part of us is unique, each part of us wants to be in control. Each part of us, uh, if you allow your your flesh, your carnal nature to rule your life, it'll lead you to destruction. That's what the Bible says. And and many people do. They're, they're carnal Christians. Last week, we spent quite a bit of time talking about what it is to be a soulish Christian, where it's all in your head. It's all just in your thinking. And then, uh, of course, we're a spirit. And so uh, God wants us to be spiritual people, spiritual Christians, of course. He wants our spirit to be in dominion, not our flesh, not our soul. We're just going to explore this concept of our soul a little bit more, just so you can discern yourself, you can understand why you are the way you are, what makes you tick. And this is the last in this preparation series, and it's going to take us somewhere. We're going to get into a lot of different things concerning uh, family and child discipline, the We'll look back on this series as a foundation for some of the places we're going to be teaching. Uh, Nelson's going to be speaking next week. I'm going up to Canada and then on to Ohio, and then I'll be back after that to to start a fresh series that we'll build upon. But Psalm 139, David had a revelation. David was a prophet, and somehow he could he tapped into things that doesn't seem like anyone else caught. I don't know how he got this revelation or how this all came about, but it's very profound. Let's look at Psalm 139, beginning of verse 13. He said, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in the book there were all written the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they'd be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. This is a powerful insight into how we're created. God uh, breathed into the nostrils of Adam, and we became a life-giving being. And so from Adam, every child after that has the spirit of God that he breathed into the nostrils of Adam. So when David's saying, you saw me, the part he saw was his spirit. And he said, I... My, my, uh, uh, my substance was unformed. That's our physical part. And so there's a, a part where you are, the moment you're conceived, because our spirit is in the blood, and once there's a transfer of semen and transfer of blood, that spirit moves from person to person, and you, you even though your body is not formed completely, even though you're being woven together in the womb, you are a spirit being and you are an eternal being. Now that you are, you will never cease to be. Nothing can ever cause you to cease to be. You'll live forever. Even though your substance, your, your uh, body is being formed. Uh, we see today in our, our culture one of the most horrific things in terms of abortion, of people trying to uh, destroy Life going into the womb but to actually destroy life it's it's so horrific it's it's hard to even get my head around that one person could do that to another, but it happens, and it happens all the time. We are fearfully and wonderfully made you're an amazing being there's nothing more complex than you. probably the height of men's ingenuity was the space station and maybe the space shuttle, but your thumb, just your thumb alone just The fact that it can move, the dexterity of your thumb, is beyond anything that was ever created in the space station or the shuttle or the arm on the shuttle that came from Canada. Nothing compares to you. There's nothing, no ingenuity, nothing created that compares to you. No animal, nothing compares to you because of the way you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Isaac Newton, he said in the absence of any other proof, the thumb alone, just the thumb, should convince us of God's existence, that the creator would create something so marvelous. Just take your thumb, go ahead, hold it up, move it around. Look at the dexterity of that thing. Meanwhile, I'm talking and I'm looking at you, and yet I can still move my thumb in ways that no creature, I mean. Gorillas have the same number of digits, but they don't have that dexterity. Nothing does except you, because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. We are a three-part being. I'm a spirit looking out through these eyes, speaking through these vocal cords. I'm a spirit looking out at you. I have a soul, and I live in a body. And there's a war inside of me because... My flesh wants control of my life. He wants to drive. He wants to be in control. My flesh, in a sense, has a mind and has a will. My soul is my mind and is my will and is my emotions. But I have a spirit. My spirit has its own mind. And there's enmity between my spirit and my flesh. And that war between those two parts of me takes place in my soul. That's why I can't trust my feelings. Because these two things are constant. There's a tug of war inside of me constantly over who's going to drive, who's going to be in control, who's going to run my life. My flesh can't do what it wants to do, even though it lusts, even though it longs, it has desires, it has passions, it has a mind. It wants control, but it can't do anything unless my soul consents to it. My soul has to give in. So it's constantly lying and coercing and working and putting pressure on me to to give him dominion of my life. My spirit, which came from God, loves God, longs for God, has become born again. Jesus by his spirit and the Father by his spirit has come to live in my spirit. My spirit came from God and loves God and wants to obey God, loves the things of God, loves everything about God, loves to worship, my flesh at the same time is opposed to all those things, so while i my heart's wanting to worship and and trying to get my soul to cooperate in the process, my flesh is complaining, saying, the song service is too long, we're having to stand too long. You should sit down, sit me down, and your soul is not sure what to do, and you don't necessarily know the song or you're in a different environment and so there's that kind of hesitation where you just don't do anything but your spirit if you gave into what your spirit wants it would always lead you in the right way it would always lead you toward god it would always lead you toward toward godliness and and there's a there's a war for your will in fact let's, let's, let's look at it this way there's a war within my soul for my will. But then the devil wants my will. He wants me to give my will to him. He wants me to consent and he'll do anything. He doesn't care if I'm drugged or drunk, stupefied. He doesn't care. He just wants me to do what he wants me to do so he can run my life. My will to him is so valuable, so important. We see where the devil actually come to Jesus and said, if you bow down before me, I'll give you the world and all the glories of the world. That's a heavy price for a man's will. There's a battle on the in, on the inside of you, but there's a battle on the outside of you for your will as well. And God wants my will, but he will never force me. He'll never drug me. He'll never, he, he doesn't want me to just mindlessly submit my will or he, he won't twist my arm to make me do anything. He wants me to su- surrender my will. He wants me to submit my will to please him. And he would never be satisfied any more than you would be satisfied if we picked someone out and said, you must love this person and you must marry them and you must love them whether you want to or not. That wouldn't be satisfying. Well, it wouldn't be satisfying to God either if, you, if he armed, arm-twisted you into submission So he won't. He'll inspire. He'll even create jealousy. He'll he'll try to move you toward toward that. But he wants you to do it with your mental faculties involved. He wants you to do it with all of your emotions. He wants you to do it because you want to. So there's a, a battle for your for your will. People want your will. And that's what wrecks so many marriages as well. One part of the marriage dominates the other person's will and say, it's my way or the highway. You must do what I say. I'm the man or I'm, you know, the woman might, might manipulate to get the man to surrender his will mindlessly using sex or using something to get him to surrender to her. That, that, that will kill a marriage. Most of us come out of a negative Christian background Where legalism, someone someone in the front, some old bishop, used the law, used legalism, used rules to make you do stuff that wasn't really even in your heart to do, causing you to conform. We call that domination of our will. We call that control. There's a lot of religion. There's a lot of religion. Every religion, in fact, has a way to use rules. Maybe the fear of hell. Or the fear of uh, excommunication to get you to conform to something, it's just a battle for your will. Aren't you, aren't you grateful to be in a spiritual house where no one's, no one's manipulating your will? We're just trying to get you to surrender continually once again to God? Isn't that freeing? It's a very freeing place to be. Well let's explore this whole thing of soul. Of course, the Jews, Hebrews, they saw man as an inside being and an outside being, soul and body. And so they used the soul very uh, broadly. The Greeks, they broke it down into spirit and soul. Paul wrote to the uh, Thessalonians, describing us as spirit, soul, and body. Hebrews says that your soul is so integrated with your spirit that only the word of God can make a distinction between the two. And so I've been given this a lot of thought, like, what is it about my soul? God wants, he wants a nice ambiance, he wants air conditioning, he wants lights, he wants color, he wants beautiful music, he wants to trip your soul to get it to open so your spirit can come forth and worship God. And so he's not against our soul, he wants to use it to surrender our hearts more to him. We have a good mind. He doesn't want us to check it out the door. He wants us to use our mental faculties. But there's a lot of parts of us and spiritual parts, spiritual, spiritual things in the kingdom that don't make sense, that aren't logical, that your head will never figure out. Your head will never figure out what faith will do. Your heart will want to take a leap of faith, and your head will say, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? Let's think this through. You need to understand yourself so that you can walk by faith and you can walk and get as much of the kingdom of God that he's made available here and now. Let's look at this whole thing of of spirit and soul. And um, I I have an unusual approach to this. So I've not taught this before, not in public like this, maybe at a a table with our discipleship, discussed it there. But I I don't think I've ever shared this in public place, so it's kind of risky for me. But let's look at it. When God wanted to create Adam, he came down, he made clay, and it's literal, he actually made clay. You are, you are made from dirt. You need dirt, you need to get dirt in your body, you need sunlight, you, you're just like a plant in that respect. But the different thing that he did that he didn't do to anything else that he created is he got down and he breathed his spirit, his heart, his breath. The word spirit, Breath and and, uh, uh, air are all the same word. So he gets down and he breathes into the nostrils of man. And man became unique in that we are a life-giving spirit. God took clay and he made animals and he created animals and he spoke a number of things into existence, but he never breathed into anything else. So nothing else has a spirit like you. No animal has a spirit like you. They have a body. They have flesh, which has its own mind, has its own will, its own desires. And, and these animals have souls. Very limited capacity compared to our great spirit. It's our spirit that is creative. It's our spirit that talks, that communicates no animal can talk like we can talk. And I, I know there's been a lot, most of us have been raised in schools where they've taught that we are animals. We came from a, a, an egg or a fish or then became a reptile then became a bird and then became an animal. There's all kinds of nonsense, all kinds of crazy stuff of how we're created. It's, it's crazy. But you are a spirit being. That's what makes you totally unique from any other animal. In fact, God brought all the animals to Adam to see which one would be a helper for him. He found none of them was compatible to the level that Adam was on because Adam was created on the same level as God. No one else was created that way. Not even the angels, even though they were breathed into existence. God breathed everything into existence. And so that breath, there's a part of, there's an element of God's soul in, in his breath. So when he breathed into the, uh, uh, he spoke, you can't speak without some kind of breath. When he spoke and, and life came, he said, even the stars and the planets worship God. So there's some kind of element of soul. A tree has some element of a soul. Uh, birds have some element of a soul, a particle, some part, not a spirit, not a creative being that can speak or that can invent but something that can respond to God. That's why Jesus said, if these people don't worship, even the rocks will cry out. He said, even the trees of the field wave their hands and worship. He said, the stars, the moon, the sun are worshiping him, all because it came from inside of God and he spoke it into existence. There's some residue of his heart in everything that 's why people say all the time I hear it. I hear it all the time. People say, I just have to get to the ocean when I get to the ocean, I feel peace, I feel like I can relax, I feel like I feel connected with God sometimes when I can get to the ocean, or if I can just get to the if I can just get to the mountains, I, I feel some kind of freedom. if I can just get out in the woods and even if it 's in a, a deer stand, I feel close to God. The reason you do is because He spoke all of that in the existence. It was in his heart. There's a residue of his soul in everything. That's why we love animals. That's why we have to have birds in our house. That's why we're just happy if we have a fish tank filled with fish. There's some kind of affinity. There's some kind of connection. I think it's a soulish connection, not a spiritual one, a soulish one. Animals understand. Even God, when he wanted the animals to come to the ark, Noah didn't go get them. God communicated to them in some way that all the animals came to the ark. Lots of different things. God spoke to the great fish and caught up Jonah and then spoke to the fish and released them on a beach somewhere. There's an ability on a soulish level to be able to communicate with everything. I read one time where it said that uh, God calls all the lightning by name, and they say, yes, sir, here I am, reporting for duty. Lightning. Then I read this morning in a headline that said uh, 1,250 lightning strikes happened in three hours over Washington last night. I thought, that's a lot of lightning then I read it, it, was, it was Washington State. I thought it was Washington D.C. And I thought, "What? What God's saying? What is He saying?" Calling lightning by name, you hit, hit Washington D.C. But it was Washington State. God cares for the animals. He wants us to care for animals. There's laws. I forget how many I counted. I, uh, at least a dozen. Laws in the Old Testament, in the laws, starting off saying how we should treat animals because they have souls. God cares about them, and he wants us to care about them. Then I happen to find this verse in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10. It says, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. You can tell what's going on and what, what part of you you're yielding to. Just how you treat creation, whether or not you litter, whether or not you just shoot a tree full of bullets, whether or not how you treat your animals. That, whether you, when you're driving down the road and you see a turtle crossing, you can tell which part of you is actually in control by what you do with that turtle. If you take pleasure in running over it, there's, that's your fallen nature at work. God would never do something like that. You can see that you're functioning at the right part of your being when you pull over and you get that thing off the road so no, no one else hits it. But there's something inside of us. There's an evil part of us that would just do that, just destroy this world, destroy nature, destroy our environment, destroy other animals. In fact, it was so proficient, it just wanted to kill everything. There's a part of our fallen nature that every time I saw something, just saw a woodpecker, the first thing I want to do is just kill it. And so God said, you know, man's just going to wreck everything. So we're going to have to put an enmity between animals and man so man doesn't destroy them all. So he, he put a fear in the animals so that they wouldn't come close to us. All because our fallen nature would just kill everything. Can I just say this, and there's a risk in saying this, and I, I think it's worth the risk. I think video games that we're letting our kids use, where they just shoot everything in the video games, is wrong. It's wrong. I think what it does is it feeds the wrong part of us that just wants to kill everything that it sees. I don't think you can do that in a video game and it not somehow translate to life in real life. I think it's fundamentally wrong, and I'm not saying video games are wrong, and I'm not saying there's something stimulating on a soulish level about the color, the light, the speed, the control, what we can do. I get all of that. I just think it's wrong to have video games where you just shoot everybody. You're a sniper, and you just kill everybody. I don't think you can do that and not cultivate a carnal response on the inside of us. I think it's wrong. I think it's showing up in our culture, in our society. Animals have soul. Here's what I'd like to present to you just for for your thought. If you didn't have a spirit, if God didn't breathe himself in you, you weren't a spirit, you were all soul and all body, what would your life be like? Because there's a part of you that's craves God, needs God, has to connect with God. You'll never be fulfilled because there's a spiritual part. But what if there wasn't? You know what you'd be like? You know what your life would be like? You'd function on the same level as a Labrador retriever. Your life, you'd be a Labrador retriever. You'd be fun to be with. You'd be friendly. You would be loyal. You would connect. You'd be social. Labs are very... We had a Labrador retriever, big old lab. We saw... It was a it was a, a study just to watch him. He surprised us all the time. He surprised us at how smart he was. Uh, when we got him, he was just chained to a, an old trailer. He'd been raised, you know, bred as a bird dog. And um, someone wanted to get rid of him. So we we found him. They said his name was Odie. Well, <clears throat> Odie is that crazy dog in in the Garfield comics, and I don't like Garfield. I think Garfield needs to get saved. I think he's just a carnal, carnal, very carnal, snarky cat. And so I don't like Odie. But the dog wouldn't respond to anything else. We tried to give him, you know, really handsome, masculine, big black lab names, and he wouldn't even respond. So we, you know, we'd call him Odie. So we just changed a little bit to Opie, and he went for it. He just couldn't discern the difference, I guess. And so, so now we got a dog named Opie, like Opie Taylor, and <clears throat> big black dog named Opie. And he was so smart, we were surprised. He'd be just waking up, and I'd say, "Do you want to go for a ride in the car?" Which usually meant going down to the river to throw throw balls, and him retrieving them, he'd love that. He's just waking up. I said, do you want to go for a ride? And he would bolt, he'd just come instantly alive, bolt out the door, run right into the side of the van. He's so eager to get down to the river just to play catch. He just loved that kind of thing. If we said, do you want to go to the vet, he wouldn't move. I mean, he knew, he knew things. And it it was a real revelation to us to see the the most amazing, the way God created his soul, and he had flesh. He he loved to eat. I mean, if he had his choice, he would eat, have sex, and play. That's all he would do all the time. And there are people that way who live too much in their flesh, too much in their soul, and they never develop their spirit. But they would be like a Labrador Retriever. So I put this together. uh, I would have... I would have shown you all these clips, but it would take too long, and then you wouldn't even hear what I'm saying. You'd just be watching the clips. Beth, do you want to start with A1 up there? This is a nice picture of a Labrador retriever, a real handsome one. That's what you'd be like if you didn't have a spirit. You'd have a good life. You'd be happy. You'd eat, sleep. You wouldn't create anything. You never you never come home and the Labradors built something, and saying, hey, I want to see what I built today? You, you would be amazed. I redid the carburetor. Uh, nothing like this. I got a job. Plus, he can't talk to you and, and never will. No science, no matter what science says, they can never get animals to talk because they don't have that capacity from God that is in our spirit part. That's the part of us that talks and communicates. In fact, if your mind, if you're put in a coma... It's amazing. Your mind is rendered useless, but when you come out of it, you can replay the whole conversation that happened in the presence of your spirit because your spirit can hear. Your spirit can perceive and pick up stuff. So you'd be a Labrador retriever. Beth, let's just go through these. Cats are different. Cats cats are a whole different thing. I mean, totally different attitude, totally different persona. Amazing how God has done that. Speaking of cats, I think this next one, oh, no, this is a gorilla. So there's a guy who bought, uh, he got a gorilla, and um, there's a connection, a soulish connection with this baby young gorilla, and then it got to a point where he had to let it go, so he takes it to Africa and actually lets it go, and then years later, there's a YouTube clip of he and his girlfriend going into the jungle to reconnect with the gorilla that they let go. Have you seen this at all? It's so moving because there's no question that this gorilla has feelings. I mean, he, when they finally reconnect and he's got all these other wild gorillas in his family, bringing them to this man that knew him, the gorilla, there's such an affinity, the gorilla won't let him go. And that you realize, man, they have a soul. They have feelings. They remember. They connect with us. That's that's them connecting. And, and that gorilla would just hang on to him and hug him. And it, it it's very moving, but it's all on a soulish level. You would be you'd be like that if you didn't have a spirit. You'd have a life. You'd have affection. But you wouldn't be able to communicate, you wouldn't be able to create. Next one, please. Uh, do you remember this one? This is one of the first ones. People saw this on YouTube and it was very, very moving. This guy, he buys a a lion cub from Harrods in London. At that time, it was legal. You could go to a store and buy a lion. And the thing got too big and took it to a big big estate in, in England and lived there for a while. Then they finally decided to take it back to Kenya and release it into the wild. And so they did. And then sometime later, he and his brother, they went back, and they walked into the place where this lion was, and the lion comes out. If you see the clip, it's so moving because the lion comes. Here's this great big massive lion. He comes up and puts his arms around him and, and, and is very emotionally affected. Uh, there's strong, strong affinity. That's, that's a fun one to see. This is two labs. That's a black lab, and this golden lab uh, the black lab got swept away in the current. The golden lab goes, gets a stick, and rescues him. That's because we're, they are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's an amazing thing. They would rescue each other. This is a dog posing for a selfie. This is a dog, lots of dogs posing for selfies. They'll, they'll even get in the picture. Next one. This is shame their shyness, and, and we see this kind of emotional built-in animals, all different kinds of animals, because they're fearfully and wonderfully made. If you didn't have a spirit, you would you would still have this capacity. Uh, our dog, Opie, uh, he would get in the messes, he would do something, and we'd confront him about it. He would just go through this amazing reaction of being caught, not wanting to be responsible for it. It's a fascinating thing to see that part of them functioning because they're God created their souls. Next, this is, a, this is a sheepdog, and I got to see a lot of sheepdog working down in Chile and Argentina, but so I appreciate them. This is um, an Australian sheepdog that at, a, at an event they would herd all these geese and get them in a circle completely, all the whole herd in the circle. I mean, it was just so brilliant to realize how smart and how they would just move little bits to communicate with the geese that you're going in the circle. Have you seen the clip on that? It's brilliant to see how smart they really are. This is a woman that gets down in the ocean. She finds this great big moray eel, and the next thing you know, she finds that she can pet it, and it responds Now she goes down every morning and the thing wants to cuddle with her and there's this affection happening with this great big eel. Gets right up and hugs. Just saw this recently. This is a spider. Someone put a mirror in front of the spider and so the spider recognizes another spider and goes through this whole thing of of trying to figure out the mirror and recognize and waving and and reacting because spiders have souls. Of course, if you've ever worked around any of these birds at all, it's, it's shocking to see how brilliant they are. Uh, crows, they would put food in in a in a place where you have to do you have to make tools, you have to you have to get us a, a longer stick, I should say, to to be able to get the food and they're just brilliant. They go through about eight different steps just to get food. This is an armadillo that was playing with a toy and just loved to play with that soft, squeezy toy. Dogs sing. Dogs get involved. I mean, they get moved. They get moved by music. They get moved by us. This is a guy playing a trick on an orangutan, and the orangutan just loved it. Wanted to see it again and again and again. You've seen the clip, perhaps, of a... Of, uh, a gorilla being shown an iPad, and he's just laughing and enjoying, wanting to go through and wanting to see all the pictures. Why? Because they have souls. But they don't have spirits in the way that you have a spirit. That If they did, they'd be able to talk like we talk. If they would, they'd be able to communicate. They'd be on, on so many different levels. They'd be able to work. They'd be able to have ingenuity. They'd do art. They'd do creativity. All those things come from the spirit part of God, And that's why you are the way you are. You're not just a soul. You are a spirit, and you must feed your spirit. You must must allow your spirit to do what it's called to do, what it's craving to do. It craves God. It wants to communicate with God. There's nothing else. He doesn't have anything else on the same level as you. Nothing else can even meet the need of his heart like you. That's why Jesus, he brought this amazing revelation in John 4. He said, you know, the Father is a spirit. And he's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth from the heart. He's actually seeking. You don't seek for something unless you long for it. You don't seek for something unless you really want it. When you come here, excuse me, you come here in the morning and your soul's a little bent out of shape and your flesh doesn't want to come but your spirit is hungry for god you got to get past your flesh you got to get past your soul in a sense and say soul we're here we're here to worship the lord whether you like the song whether you know the song i am a worshipper god is hungry for something from me and i my intent is to meet the need of his heart and in the process, he meets the need of my heart. You are a spirit. There's nothing like you anywhere, nothing like you on the planet. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Isn't that amazing? God, God feels that you're you're the most precious thing that he's ever created. You're incredibly valuable to God. He's not just going to brush you off his lap like a, a baker would brush off his dust from his apron and say, I don't want anything to do with you. How could someone so valuable, so precious, so rare as you be rejected by the very one who created you, who wanted you? Wanted you to be with him, communicating with him, talking with him, praying, singing, worshiping, talking, relating, creating together now and forever. Here's the question. People say, well, I don't want to go to heaven. I I I would be bored just being floating around on a cloud all day playing a harp. I don't like harp music now. I don't think I'd want to spend all my eternity floating around on a cloud playing a harp. You're a spirit being. That'll never change. In heaven, you will have to learn. You want, you have a capacity to grow. You want to grow. You want to explore. You want to create. There's jobs in heaven. There's responsibilities in heaven. There's a whole life in heaven. In fact, the way the, the Bible describes this life, describes this life as the shadow. That's the real life. This is just the shadow. This is just a test to find out what you'll choose by faith for that real life. You weren't built for this place. You're built for something else, something beyond anything you've ever experienced. And then people ask, are there, are there animals in heaven? Well, there are dogs in heaven. There's even a movie called All Dogs Go to Heaven. But there's no cats in heaven. Cats go to hell. That's not true. <clears throat> you know what there's going to be in heaven? Whatever we need to feel fulfilled, whatever we need to feel complete, all of that will be in heaven. Whether your pet goldfish or hamster gets to heaven, I don't know. All I know is Jesus comes riding back on, on amazing horses with all the saints behind him on horses. We see a, a, a complete reconstruction of creation where the, the lion and the wolf lay down with the lamb and the, and the sheep. I mean, it's a profound restoration where a little child could put his hand and a spider won't bite him. And, and, the, and a child can lead a lion and not be afraid. I think there's a complete restoration of everything that God created. It's going to happen, I think, maybe in the life to come. Maybe not down here, but maybe in the life to come. But if you need a pet, if that's something that you'll need, God will provide whatever you need. I can't definitively say where pets are because the Bible doesn't say. I know that there's a church even in town that will bless your pets. Bring them to church on Sunday, they'll bless them. The reason they do that is it blesses you. It might trip your soul to open your heart because you have a love connection. Here's something I'm concerned about, though, and I'm going to stop with this. I'm concerned about people who love their pets more than people because they can relate and they feel unconditional love coming from their pets. But they have so many broken relationships and their soul has been bruised and their spirit has been broken so that they can't relate to other spirits. They can't relate to other people. And on a soulish level, they're so bruised, they don't want to be with people. So they surround themselves with, pe- with, with animals. Jesus has come to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus has come to heal the bruised. He wants us to be whole now, and forever. Amen? You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's stand together. Let's pray along this line. Father, I want to thank you for making me I'm such an amazing, complex being. You never created anything like me. And there's no one like me in all the earth. And you love me. And you died for me. And no one else has done that. No one else has loved me like you. I understand that you don't love my flesh. I don't love it either. And I understand that my soul is limited. But my heart needs you. My heart wants you. I don't know how to connect with my soul. I don't know how to connect with all my heart. But your word says that I'm to love you with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my strength. Help me. Help me to do that. Help me to know how to do that now and forever. God, I want to be completely yours. I want to be completely sanctified, my spirit, my soul, my body. Help me. Help me to figure me out. Help me to understand me. Help me to know why I do what I do. Help me to discern myself, oh God. I'm a complex being. Help me. Help me to know why I do what I do. And I'm asking that you do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.